Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. As Evan said, my name is Karen, unfortunately, and and that's my one and only joke, because guys, I bomb jokes really bad, but it is uh, unfortunate, that is how I introduce myself, so if I'm at a Chick-fil-A line, and they say, what's your name, I'm like dreading the question, and I always end up saying Karen, unfortunately, and I get some good giggles, but most of you I know. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you, so please come up after service and say hi. Um, Anyways, speaking about names, I thought it would be fun for us to do a little thought exercise this morning to start our time. If we could look into the mind and heart of God, what might he uh, speak to us other than our own name? an intimate reflection of his heart, a nickname of sorts. What do you think that that might be? And as you ponder this question, you know that our summer series has been about invitations from Jesus. And this morning we are going to be reflecting upon the intimacy of Jesus' invitation. And our, our key scriptures for today are found in John chapter 17, verses 21 through 23. So if you want to, I don't know, if you have your phones, we're going to have the scriptures up here as well, or a Bible, feel free to open up to that scripture. But to give a little context on that scripture and insight into that passage, it's one of Jesus' recorded prayers about us. And it is actually immediately after he prays this prayer, he is betrayed by those that are closest, most intimate to him and then crucified. And if we read the chapter and passages before it, we'll actually see that there's this push of information, there's this download of information that Jesus is sharing to his disciples. And yet in the midst of this, right before he's betrayed, he is praying for us. So let's start with verse 21. Let's see what invitations of intimacy we may hear in this prayer. He says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and that you love them just as you loved me. We're going to be unpacking this scripture, and, but we're going to go backwards. So just beginning with this phrase we just read, Father, that you love them just as you loved me. That phrase is Jesus praying that we would come to know and experience the Father's love that Jesus knows and experiences. Because Jesus knows that the same love that the Father has given him is the same heartfelt love that the Father gives you and me. And so if we want to know um, what this love looks like between the intimacy of God the Father and the Son, We can look definitely at Scripture, and in the Old Testament, we see that God has an intimate reflection, a nickname, an endearing, heartfelt word that he says over his son a couple of times. 
We see it first announced, pronounced to him during his baptism and then again during his transfiguration. So I want us just to look at what the Lord, the Father, says over his son during his baptism. So in Matthew, Matthew 3.16, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So as the father loves his son, as he looks at his son and thinks so very highly of him that he says, you are my beloved and him in whom I am well pleased. Do you know that the father looks at each of us, each of you, and he says the same thing. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And you are chosen and marked by my love. I'm really very pleased by you. You are the delight of my life in whom I am well pleased. Amen? Amen. And isn't it so kind that Jesus, through this prayer, wants us to share in this intimate love relationship that he has with his father and that his father has with him? For the last 10 months or so, um, I've been journeying with some peers a spiritual retreat of sorts um, with just the intent of, of drawing closer to God and, and just a personal relationship. And um, there, part of this retreat, there's a whole rhythm of life. There's certain prayers you pray or certain meditations or scriptures you read. But the first thing that um, you begin daily with, that we were as a whole group, was this one simple sentence. Begin your time by sitting in the loving gaze of your father. I have to admit, guys, um, it was about two months in, uh, maybe two to three months <laughs> um, into this retreat, that I really wasn't giving much thought to this one little sentence until a peer shared in his reflections, and it just it opened my heart, it challenged me, it just, something just was clicking like, oh, I'm missing something here. He said, I've never done this before, to purpose and sit in the loving gaze of my Father, and yet I find myself staying here for minutes upon minutes, not wanting to move on to other things. I just want to stay in the loving gaze of my Father. And when he said that, I was saying things like this in my head. Well, there's really not much to it. I mean... You, like what I was doing during that sentence is I would say, oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I know you love me. Okay, let's move on. Let's get into the prayers and the Bible reading and these great meditations and all these things. And as I was reflecting on my approach, it hit me that it really wasn't about what I was doing or my approach, but this whole little sentence was about first his approach to me. And see, while I was acknowledging God's love, which is great, and there is no shame in where I was at that moment, and I just have to say this, please hear me. Wherever we are with our walk with Jesus, he meets us there. He, he, there's never any shame in any of that. That is just where I was. But Jesus is so patient and kind that he's always inviting, he's always stirring, he's always drawing us into more love, into full, fullness with him. 
And so just to sit and enter into the loving gaze of the Father, this is the heart of the Father, that we would not only notice him, but that we would experience and enter in and receive his love, that we would see him gazing upon us with nothing but love in his eyes, that we would see him looking at us, the real us, completely open, natural, relaxed, with no expectations, that in sitting in his love, we would experience his love, that his love would flood and fill our hearts, all the places that may be hidden and dark, and shut out, that his love would flood into all of that, and that his love would flood our past, our present, and our future, and that shame, fear, self-criticism, all of that would bow its knee to the love of Jesus and God our Father. I believe so much in this point that God's love is our central starting point, and that God's heart is so fully opened and transparently beautiful, kind and good, wanting to pour out onto us. And he's already been doing this this morning. He's already been pouring out his love upon us. But I want us to take a moment here and actually just do this together as a family. So I am going to invite our worship team up to sing a song. And as we just sit and be and receive and enter into his love before we move on to another point in this sermon, um, I know sometimes it's difficult for us to sit and receive. And things start to go through our minds. We say things like, well, if you only knew what I struggled with, surely you'd understand that I'm not worthy of this type of love. I'm not the lovable type. But here's the thing about God. You can't earn what he has already shared freely to you. So there is nothing you must do. There's nothing required um, for you to experience and enter in. It is just simply unconditional love. And we say yes, Lord, to your more abundant love. Because it's more real and more abundant than the air we breathe. So would you guys all just right now with me, just um, feel free to close your eyes. And imagine God the Father and Jesus right beside you. Open your heart to sense his holy, precious Holy Spirit and to hear what God has to say to you this morning through the song because this is God's heart singing over you this morning and it will always be love upon love.
just lingering in what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts right now. I just want to bless this time of sitting in the loving gaze of our Father by reading these two scriptures. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, he, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love this promise of God's commitment of love to us that nothing will be able to separate us from his love in Christ Jesus our Lord, absolutely nothing. And here's what John Wimber said. Um, he's one of the leaders, of, beginning leaders of Vineyard. He said about God's commitments to us as his beloved. He said, often when I'm in a small group, the Holy Spirit will prompt someone to prophesy over me and to say that I'm God's beloved. And everything in my system, system says tilt. I can't receive that because I just know how disobedient and how hard-hearted I am. For God to call me his beloved just doesn't compute. Yet he keeps telling me that because he's trying to help me understand that he means it. And here's the goods. Whereas Pastor Evan says, here's the sauce. <laughs> Here, here's the goods and the sauce. My intimacy with God has nothing to do with my performance. It has everything to do with his commitments to me. Let me read that again. My intimacy with God has nothing to do with my performance. It has everything to do with his commitments to me. We so often think it is about what we do or what we don't do because we live in this performance-driven culture. We think God's love is so dependent on us getting it right and achieving the perceived expectations that we project upon him. But Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us. Or rather, he radically projected his love upon us that while we were yet sinners, when we didn't have any of it all together, Christ died for us. Going back to our key scriptures um, this morning, Jesus ends his prayer this way in this last verse of John 17, verse 26, which is a key part of his invitation into intimacy. He says, I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. See, God was so committed to his intentions to us that to become one with us, he became one of us. And it doesn't get any more committed in the person of who Jesus is because in Jesus we see that he is fully committed to humanity, being all God and all human. He is fully God and fully man. He is the full expression of, guarantee, and commitment to God 
for us, for all, always, all eternity, for all of humanity. And um, I, I love the verse, you know, he gave his only begotten son, but he did not give his only beloved son. He, he gave his only begotten son. And that word begotten means that there is only one like him. There is only one Jesus, that he was the spoken intentions of God made flesh, the living intentions of God's heart of love towards us that he made real to us. So God gave his only begotten son so that all the beloved sons and daughters, that's you and me, would be fully restored to the most intimate relationship with God himself. And in many uh, evangelical traditions, and you may have grown up praying this prayer, you say, oh, Jesus, we just want you to come into my heart. Well, do you know that when we pray that, that Jesus is actually praying that same thing towards us, that, that we would enter into his heart, that we would become one with him as he is one with the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 17 says it this way, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And becoming one with the Lord is the most intimate integration of our life in Christ so that all that we say and do, it becomes this divine dance of intimacy that whatever we do in life, he is with us always. In fact, God's love is so vital so very vital to us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he loved us first. Our very ability to love is because he loves us first. And we might find ourselves, for example, if we find ourselves lacking love for certain individuals, um, we're struggling to be kind, we're struggling to care, we're, we're struggling to show the love of God to them, this really is an invitation for us to enter into his love first because once we receive his love, we get to become his expressions of love to others. And maybe another area of love that you might struggle with or you, you find lack in is, is just loving your own self. You know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So in that very end, you know, Jesus has an invitation. It's, it's important that we love ourselves. And maybe that's something that you, you struggle with. You find yourself your own worst critic. You're, you're so hard on yourself that you're just plumb unkind to yourself at times. And, and that would be an invitation that you would hear Jesus say, Arise! You're my, beautiful, my, you're my beautiful one. You are the love of my life. You are the apple of my eye. I, I see you are just everything. Do you know how much I love you? Don't, don't, don't beat yourself up any longer. Don't deprive or, or despair of yourself because all I have is love for you. And then there's this other thought. Well, how do we respond to Jesus with love? That just as we are his one thing, that just as we are his beloved, that we'd return the love he has so freely given us right back to him, that we might experience within us that he is our one thing, that he is our beloved. In the book of Psalms, 
There's prayers like this. Um, My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet God? My soul yearns, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, it cries out for the living God. I'd like to encourage you this morning that if you feel your heart saying things like this in more of a modern language, like, I wish I could love the Lord more. I wish I could serve him better. I wish that I would give my yes more to Jesus and honoring him and doing the things that he's inviting me to, that that he would really become that one thing. Let me just encourage you, don't despair on that because those are actually, he created us in his image. And, you know, the image of God is he is a holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's not about like this number of first, second, and third place. The Trinity is a concept that God in his essence is relational, that in the very core of God, he is relational. And so when he created us in his image, he created us with these these, um, longings that would only be filled by direct communion with him, being entering in with him. So if you feel those types of um, movements within your heart, it is simply invitations for you to come back and receive and enter into the love of God himself. It's just like when we have natural hunger pains and we're hungry and we know it's time to eat. It's the same same way with our spirit. Revelations 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This invitation from Jesus asks us to open the door of our most intimate space that he created us with and that he would come in and eat with us and that we would eat with him. And that's opening that door of our heart is sometimes scary because it's the good and the bad and the ugly and and we just sometimes we want we want to keep that door shut um sometimes we'd rather um we we want to dress ourselves up or 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 we we don't want to allow god to come in because we just feel like that space is just too cluttered um but hear hear me when i say that When Jesus comes knocking on the door of your heart, he does not expect a spotless house for you. He does not expect you to be a Stepford wife or a self-made man. Um, God has no expectations of you other than for you to be real, authentic you. He bids you to come just as you are. And intimacy evokes this vulnerability. And what that means is how do we become one with the Lord means we have to be vulnerable to the Lord and to live in this undefended openness seems scary and we can't help but wonder if there are risks involved. And, and even the word vulnerable comes from a Latin term meaning vulness, which means wounds. Um, it means mental, emotional hurt, injury, deep wounds of love. And so in this fear of being vulnerable, there's a real, real felt risk because we have been vulnerable to others, with others, and we have experienced hurt. So what will God do in this vulnerable space? 
What will he do with me being honest with my doubts and fears and my struggles? But being vulnerable before the Lord will not result in the Father wounding you or hurting you. Instead, being vulnerable before the Lord who created your being, that created your heart, will become the healer of your heart. He will be the one that heals the broken places, that his love would be the salve that covers your heart, that he rushes in with his love, and that all the wounds and the breaks and the splinters of your heart are healed and restored in his love. So don't be discouraged by your heart condition because his best work, his best work is with broken things. His best work is with dead things. His best work is with weak things and sad things and depressed things because he's perfect at redeeming all things, reconciling all things and recreating all things. And some of us struggle with this idea of God being so holy and perfect and beautiful that if we would open the door to our heart for us to be one, that he might get a a waft of something and just, ah, I'm done, I'm going this way, it was a good attempt on that one, I'm good. No, that is not the heart of the Father. I want to share just a personal story to kind of, and then we're going to go to the Lord and communion together. But um, just a personal story about my childhood. Um, I grew up as a single child, and I had the most loving and caring mom who loved Jesus passionately. She was so faithful, um, taking me to church every day almost. (laughs) Um, My father struggled. He struggled. He had lots of lots of issues, lots of anger, lots of hate. Um, There was so much fear in in my home as a child that if my father would come to give me a hug, I would often, I remember very vividly one morning him coming to give me a hug, and and I flinched because I thought he was going to strike me. There was so much fear in my home as a child that um, at nighttime, I would, I would go through the house anointing. I was, I was brought up Pentecostal, y'all. So I'd go through the house anointing the walls with crosses. And uh, I remember I had a whole little bedtime routine because I was very, very, very scared. And so my bedtime routine would be I read a chapter of the Bible. I'd pray, and then I would take the Bible and I would have the Bible on my chest, and I would take the flashlight and have a flashlight next to me, and then I'd blow kisses to Jesus, and then I'd imagine him blowing kisses back to me. But one evening, um, I was taking a shower, and it was a Saturday night, and as I was taking the shower, my shower was right next to my bedroom, I started to hear all this pounding and commotion, it was just really loud, and I was thinking, what in the world is going on? And I stepped out of the shower and um, immediately turned off the shower and heard my dad erupting with such anger. He was cursing. He was swearing. Um, and I, I didn't even know what the banging was. I can only imagine. So I quickly got myself dressed and, and walked outside of, of the bathroom to turn 
So earlier that day, my dad had asked me to clean my room, and I didn't clean my room. And he got so angry and so angry that he decided to destroy my room. He was taking my toys, throwing them against the wall. My mom was trying to temper him down, but this is just what it was. Um, So much so that I saw just everything just being destroyed. And then my prized possession, my Easy Bake Oven. (laughs) He took my Easy Bake Oven and he threw it and it crashed and crumbled. And at that moment, we caught eyes and I saw nothing but anger and hate and all I knew was to run. And our house was very small. I often think that sometimes we think of God this way, that if we don't have it all together, he's just going to snap. That we're going to push God to his breaking point where we no longer see love or experience his love, but our worst fears are realized that God was always just a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde complex hiding in the background. But see, the good news is that these views that we have carried for generations and the, since the, the dawn of age has all been clarified in the person of Jesus because Jesus is the perfect revelation and the reflection of God's heart because Jesus says things like, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so... I quite believe the Father, if, if God the Father was in that childhood story, and I believe this is his invitation for us to, this morning to really realize his love, that this is how it would have played out differently. God the Father in that story, I would have exited out the shower. I would have saw God the Father sitting, and he would look over at me, and he'd say, hey, I noticed you didn't clean your room like I asked earlier. And I'd say, yeah. I don't, I don't know where to begin. And then he would say, well, how about I come and help you? What can I do to help you? And we'd walk in the room, and I'd say, Father, I, I just don't know where even to begin with this. I mean, you see, it's, I'm, this is bad. And the Father would say, well, let's just start with the things that are on the floor. Let's just start picking the stuff off the floor so you can walk around your bed. And as we started picking up things, we start telling stories. He'd pick up a bookmarker and he'd say, do you want me to get rid of this? And I'd say, no, Susie made that for me. That's a very special bookmarker. I want to keep that bookmarker. Or we'd find a love note from Johnny, the yes, no, checkbox kind of love notes. And I'd say, that one we can throw away. (laughs) Right? And we'd go through, and before you know it, we're just in this relationship, and we're talking about things, and we're conversing, and everything in my life is open to him. And what a beautiful picture of intimacy that my dad is talking to me and laughing. And before you know it, the room is clean. It's all clean. It's organized. We had some giggles along the way. And then God the Father would look at me, and he'd say, you know what I'm in the mood for right now? What about one of those brownies from your Easy Bake Oven? Yeah? Amen? And we would would just eat together. 
And that's the invitation of these scriptures, that, that he draws us with his love wherever we are, and he becomes one with us. That's his prayer. That's his heart, that we intimately receive and, and, and enter into his love that's so freely given to us.